Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be able to gather in this house of prayer. It is a privilege to be able to be here because we have been blessed with a resurrection morning, with a morning that happened many years ago and changed everything for the better. Lord, help us to never forget the price that was paid that we might live. Help us, Lord, to live with a resurrection mindset anew each day. Help us, Lord, to spend the greater portion of this day focusing on things of the kingdom and having conversations with people about the kingdom and about the blessings that we have in our lives. Lord, be with those that can't be with us. We're mindful of those that are shut in at home on sick beds. Bless them, Lord. Meet all of their needs and help them to feel a closeness to us through the power of thy spirit. And Lord, we will thank thee and we will praise thee in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dear ones, I began thinking about this service some weeks ago. Not really sure how the Lord would, would lead, and I was really impressed with our Good Friday service. When Mike shared with us, what really, what really struck me was, was Mike sharing the reality of Good Friday and what it meant. And that we often take it for granted. And when he shared the, the experience, and he, he started talking about this a, a week and a half ago on our Wednesday night Bible study, when he talked about the thief on the cross that found forgiveness and how he must have felt. Think about that, dear ones. Condemned to death, knowing that you're there worthily, that you deserve to die, and being pardoned in the moment, and having the master himself say, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And then Tim, and I had, I had actually selected a scripture yesterday, and then this morning in our earlier service, when Tim talked about the guilt that Peter must have felt. Imagine, dear ones, put yourself in Peter's shoes where you've committed to the master that you will die for him and you're serious, you are willing to die for him. You will draw the sword and take off the servant of the high priest's ear. And Jesus saying, well, not really, Peter. You're going to deny me before the the cock crows three times. And then Peter denying the Lord. And then the look of the master the heartbreak of seeing the master who you said you would die for realize that you denied that you knew him. But Sunday came. Sunday came and everything changed. The writer of the Hebrews, book of Hebrews says, everything changed for the better. So I'd like to have us turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You probably never thought we would use Ephesians chapter 2 for Easter, but we will. Because what I really want us to talk about, dear ones, this morning is why did it matter so much? What really changed on that first Easter morning? 
Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also ye all had, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath as others. But God, who is rich in his mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly together and sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, not in the, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his knowledge toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God, in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly flamed, framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. All 22 verses in Ephesians chapter 2. So dear ones, what I'd like to do now after I've read that is I want us to unpack this almost verse by verse. Why was the resurrection so important? Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What does quicken mean? Quicken means to be made alive. We were dead. There was no hope. We were aliens from God. We were the thief on the cross, condemned to die without hope. Dear ones, I want you to think about that. Imagine what it must be like 
For someone who is convicted of a crime, they know they committed, and they are waiting for the sentencing. That's us. My brother, my sister, do we, do we remember, dear ones, the terror of being lost in sin? Have we forgotten what it was like to go to bed at night, wondering or knowing that if the Lord would come, we'd be left behind? I don't remember that enough, and I need to. I remember the times when I was mid to late teens, and I realized that my brother and my sister and my parents were believers, and that if the Lord would come, I would be left behind. I remember once walking with my cousin Steve from my brother's house on Getta Street to, my, to our house on Robin Road. And five young men stopped us and one pulled out a knife with a blade that was at least four or five inches long. Had he run me through with that blade, I was destined for hell. I can still remember how that blade shined when the sun reflected off of it. But I was quickened. The Lord spared me that day. The Lord protected me that day. That young man put that knife away. And I was given the chance to be quickened by the master. And I knew, just as if, that, if the Lord would have said it to me, that if something would have happened to me from that point on, that day I would be with him in paradise. That's why the resurrection morning meant so much. In verse 2, Where and in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. My friend outside of Christ, you can't help but do whatever Satan says, just as I couldn't, just as Peter couldn't. Peter's heart was in the right place. It was. Peter did not want to deny the master. We know that because Peter drew his, because Jesus said, trade your coat for a sword, and he did. And Peter, we know that when the, the servants of the high priest came, the, the temple guard came, we, I think it might be Matthew that gives us his name. His name was Malchus. And Peter drew the sword and took Malchus's ear off. Now, I've often said Peter was either a very good swordsman or a very bad one. Nonetheless, he severed Malchus's ear. Peter was ready to die for Christ. He wasn't able to live for Christ yet. I often wondered about Malchus. What did Malchus think when Jesus bent down, picked up the ear from the dirt, maybe brushed the dirt off and put it back on his ear? What did Malchus think when it got dark in the middle of the day? 
How often did he pull on his ear and wonder, this is not a normal man? So verses 2 and 3 really tell us where we were. We were Satan's slaves. There was nothing we could do to resist the adversary. When he, he was the puppeteer and we were the puppet. And when he pulled on the strings, we danced. And then I love verse 4. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Dear ones, we didn't deserve it. My friend outside of Christ, I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Jesus went to the, before the foundation of the world was laid, the plan of salvation was. This Godhead that we can't fully comprehend, being God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're having a conversation. They know that man that is created will choose sin because we have free will. And the conversation is, how are we going to deal with this? And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll go. I will go because I want to show them what love is. I want to show them, Father, how much you love them, that you will sacrifice your own son for them. But God, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This was something, imagine, imagine being a Jew and reading this. Now, we, now this wasn't written to the Jews. But imagine the Jews hearing this. They couldn't even speak the name of God. God was he who has no name. And Paul, the former Pharisee, is saying, we are made to sit in heavenly places with Christ. This is totally different. This was, this was not just a historic event. This changed everything for the better that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kingdom toward us through Christ Jesus. Who is he? He is God in this case. That the purpose for this was to show the love of God the way God feels about us as, as human beings, not just then, but in the ages to come, knowing all of us, dear ones, that would be living thousands, 2,000 years after, and however many years there will be till the Lord returns, the grace of God is made manifest through the shed blood of, his, of our Savior and his Son. And then verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. We can't earn it. There is nothing we can do to earn this grace other than say, Be merciful unto me, a sinner. We just have to admit to God what he already knows. It's not that we, you know, I, 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 I'm reminded of a couple of two situations. One was, I remember one of my greatest challenges, the, one of the greatest obstacles that I had in my conversion was confessing my sins. And it was so, it just seemed so difficult because I was doing it to my dad. Now I probably, if I would have said, can I confess it to somebody else, he probably would have said, sure. Maybe that wouldn't, have, but the devil, the devil knows what we have. What's, he, he knows exactly what obstacles he needs to put in front of us, and he does. 
But what I remember even more than that, and someday I'll talk about that struggle and how the Lord gave me victory, but I remember my dad talking about going to his father to confess his, to ask forgiveness. That's what it was, to ask forgiveness of his dad. And my grandpa stopped him. He didn't even get it all the way out. And grandpa said, I forgave you years ago. That's God. That's God. Remember, this, Mike talked about the prodigal son and his older brother, and unfortunately, I am way too much like the older brother too often. But remember, the father came. He went to the end of the lane every day looking. Is my son coming? The next day, is he coming today? Is he going to come today? If he doesn't come today, he'll come tomorrow. That's God. God is there waiting for us. And he already knows that we need him. He just needs us to come home and say, forgive me, for I've sinned. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works with God which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a plan. My, my friend outside of Christ, God has a plan for you. He does. You don't know it yet, but he does. We, you and I, are his workmanship. What does that mean? You know, years and years and years ago, I was a toolmaker. I don't think I was a very good one, but I was a toolmaker. And I created things with my hands. Maybe that's why I like woodworking and I like helping Jeremy on the house is because I can create something. I can be the workman. And what we create is our workmanship. We are gods. And he has a plan for you, my friend, outside of Christ. It, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, the plans for good and not for evil. I heard one time a quote, and I wish I could say it properly, but it just is so true. It was, it was as if God was saying to us, listen, I could tell you what I'm doing, but it would be so amazing you wouldn't believe it anyways. That's God. Or his workmanship. Wherefore, remember, and what I love about the way Paul writes is Paul has almost a circular pat pattern to his writing. He talks about something, then he brings us back to it again. Then he talks about it and he brings us back. He keeps re reinforcing what he's saying. And then in verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircum uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that in, the in that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the world. What makes the world so scary? There's no God. What makes hell so terrifying? There's no God. It's without him. The absence of God is hell. I wonder, you know, I've, I've said to my family, what's happening to our world? Yesterday, I saw the headline, a shooting in Armory Square, one dead, four injured. What's happening to our world? We're pushing God out. And when we push God out, all hell breaks loose. There's a scripture, is it not in Thessalonians, where it says, now, now him that letteth will let until he is taken out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is removed, all hell will break loose. 
But God has created something better for us, that we need not be part of it, that even when we are in the world, we are not of the world because God, through the power of his spirit, is within us. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute here. But now, and you notice how, how, how Paul, he gives you this dire scenario, and then he says either, but God, or but now in Christ, Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Having made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. I love that. In Colossians, the Paul The Apostle Paul talks about letting the peace of God rule in our hearts. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He gives relevance and and, and makes sense to everything that's happening. And he broke down that middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh enmity. What is enmity? Enmity is like his hatred and animosity. Even law of commandments contained in the ordinance for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. What Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection on, on resurrection morning allowed us to become whole again, allowed us to have the Holy Spirit come and indwell us. Th- think about the Garden of Eden. When sin came, everything changed. Not only were there thorns and thistles, But the relationship that our first parents had was forever different. Adam and Eve uh, hid from God. They recognized something was wrong. Something was separated. The beauty of resurrection morning was that because Jesus died and rose again, and through the power of the Spirit, we can be transformed, and we'll read a scripture on that in a minute, and we get to begin to restore, or God begins to restore in our lives, the garden. First, us and God. And then, if we will apply the Spirit, even in our husband-wife relationships, the relationship that was strained between Adam and Eve becomes a garden relationship, if we will simply live into it with less of ourselves and more of the Spirit. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What does he mean by that? Well, dear ones, I think we need to, to go to, real quickly. Don't look for it because I'll read it. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What was Peter missing? The Holy Spirit. That's why Peter couldn't resist. That's why Peter had to deny his best friend. He couldn't help it. And that's why I believe if we could ask Jesus, what was he thinking when he looked? Or why was, what was the grief that was in his face? It wasn't that Peter denied him. Jesus forgave Peter for denying him before he denied him. It was that Jesus saw the lost condition of Peter. And Jesus knew how brokenhearted Peter was. 
That's why Jesus was sad. Not that he was betrayed by a friend. It's that his friend was a broken man with no hope at that point. And then, so we, we have to be transformed. What does that mean? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. After Sunday morning, Peter had no problem. Because Peter was redeemed. Peter could be empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak boldly. To speak on the day of Pentecost, on the steps of the temple, things that he hadn't even thought. Because they weren't his words, they were the Spirit's words. Peter was able to heal the sick. Peter was able to prophesy things he never understood that he'd be able to do. Because he was redeemed. Verse 17, and came and preached peace to you who which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Dear ones, do we understand what that last verse means? That once we are redeemed, we become part of the church of Christ, and we become a habitation for God's Spirit here on earth. We are the temple. They don't need the temple in Jerusalem anymore. We are the temple. The Holy Spirit himself, that part of the Godhead that connects with us, is within us. It's not some place we go to. It's not something that's hidden behind a veil. It's in our hearts, if we will but let him in. What did the resurrection morn do? It changed everything everything and it began eternity right here on earth my friend outside of christ just give it a chance i dare you to give god a chance i remember my dad telling me another story of a man that didn't believe and my dad challenged him just ask God to show you who he is. And the man didn't because he was afraid that dad was right. You see, this morning we get to make a choice. We're all thieves hanging on a tree. Which thief will you be? <laughs>